Our communion meditation is in Colossians 2. And it's been a while since we've been in this book for these communion meditations. My last one was back in uh, late May, so it's been a couple months. I'll read, in that we haven't been in it. The last one was on Colossians 2, verses 1 through 5. I'll read that, and then I'll read what we'll uh, review today, and that's verses 6 through 10. Colossians 2, starting at verse 1. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the beauty, the truth of your word, these words that uh, guide our lives and fuel our thoughts and our imagination for the future. Uh, Lord, we look forward to a time when we will be free of sin, when we will not have to worry about the difficulties and the temptations of this world. And yet, Lord, now we live in the power of Christ, and we pray that you would strengthen us by that power. In his name we pray. Amen. So our, uh, we've had eight messages on Colossians, and so we've been going through it at somewhat a leisurely pace, a detailed pace. The end of Colossians 1, there were four messages in which it was emphasized the substitutionary uh, role of Christ. Uh, Christ took our place. We benefit by being in Christ's place, and then it ends with Christ being in us. And I don't know if you've noticed, but as I've kind of been prepared to talk about it, uh, aspects of our worship today have all been reflecting on the fact that we are in Christ. Uh, Gary specifically spoke about that uh, up here during the int introduction. And so it seems to be what God has chosen for the theme today about being in Christ. And then last time, there were, uh, there were three messages in the end of Colossians 1 that formed like these three parts about us in Christ, Christ, uh, us in Christ, Christ in place of us, us in place of Christ. And now we have three themes again, beginning in uh, Colossians 2. And we had the uh, first five verses be dedicated to Christ being our treasure. And today it's about Christ being our Lord and Master. In verse 6, Paul said, Have received Christ Jesus the Lord. You who have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, walk in him. You have received him, now walk in him. So it's past tense. You have received him. He's speaking to people that have personally benefited from the reality that Christ is their savior. They've been freed from their sins. They're walking now with the Lord. Or are they? That's really what Paul is implying. Are you truly walking with the Lord? He's commanding them to honor Christ Jesus the Lord by walking with him, being in him as we are spiritually. He wants us to be physically. He wants us to physically be honoring the Lord by walking with him in obedience. Embrace the opportunities we have to be in him. We know how tempting it is to be in this world as opposed to being in Christ. It's difficult to live in Christ in this world because you feel like you're needing to be in this bubble. 
And so too often, that's where people then want to be, the mountaintop. They want to be in that bubble on the mountain. I don't want to be with all this riffraff anymore. I don't want to be plagued by the sins of this world, either in me or in others. And so we think that living the Christian life then, we're deceived that living the Christian life then is that mountaintop experience, when in reality, no. That's just some supercharged fuel that you experienced at a moment in time in this life that brings you back down to this earth such that you can function in the world that God wants you to function in. Now, verse 7, he says this, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Uh, twice in the last couple of weeks, Tabitha has made a comment to me about plants. I mean, she loves plants. And so we're walking in our front yard, and she pointed at all these plants, saying that many of them aren't reaching beyond the mulch to get into the soil. And so they're not flowering like they should be. They're not growing like they should be. And then we planted some flowers yesterday in front of Josiah's home, and she said the same thing. The mulch is so deep, so thick, she couldn't get soil. We didn't have any soil with us. And so these plants are in the mulch. They're not in soil. Now, mulch is meant to pretty much prevent growth of things, not sustain it. So these plants aren't long for this earth if they don't find soil. And you know the story that Jesus told, the parable about the seed falling on the soil. There are the four places that the seeds fall, right? There's the hard ground where the seed doesn't even penetrate. It's on ground, but it's so packed down the seed doesn't even germinate. So that's just such a hard-hearted person, so selfish, so self-centered, so swallowed up by sin that they don't want anything to do with a reminder of the fact that they themselves require a savior. They essentially live in denial of that. They become those callous, hardened people that you see and yet, frankly, try to avoid because they're typically not very pleasant to be around. And then there is the weedy soil where the seed falls and it's choked out by the cares of the world. Those are people that want both. They want what religion has to offer, but they also want what the world has to offer. And these also, obviously, Christ warned us that you can't love both. You've got to choose God. You, can't, you have to sacrifice that love of the world. And then there's the shallow soil, springs up, very optimistic, very hopeful. We've all probably seen examples of this. And then the people die away because there is no root. They're like these ones that are in the mulch. So see, our only soil is Christ. We have to be in Christ. So when we talk about Christians being in Christ, we are. Spiritually, we're in Christ. But if you expect to bear fruit in this world, you can't by your actions, by the reflection of what you love, be choosing daily to live in the world. You're denying the reality of who you are, of where you should be. So that's why he's talking to people and warning people that yes, in the spirit you're a believer, in the spirit you're in Christ, but live it out in this world, in the flesh. Be Christians, act in Christian ways, value Christian things. He goes on to say in verse eight, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. Earlier he'd warned against that too. It's partly why I read it again in verse 4. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. So he's aware that in Colossae, they're dealing with people who want to cheat them, who want to steal their newfound faith away from them. And even if they are believers, even if they are spiritually in Christ, at least I'm going to rip them out in the world from bearing fruit for Christ. Tradition of men, basic principles of the world is what he's condemning. And so see, in the Bible we have plenty of evidence of this. Tradition of men, basic principles of the world, traditions of men. Why is it when you read through the kings that they didn't abandon polygamy? It just doesn't make any sense. 
at various points, they're, they're coming face to face with the word of God and they see that it's not right. You see David, a man after God's own heart, who knows it's not right, and yet he takes on all these wives, all these concubines. Why? Because it was a tradition of men. That's what kings did. If there was any man on earth that deserved that type of perk, it was the kings. And so David indulged in that. And it was Solomon's downfall. So see, the traditions of men are so powerful. They disrupt our desire to be faithful to Christ. And so we can see them taking root in our society. We can see with the whole embracing of homosexuality that this is something that is becoming rapidly a tradition of man. And if we choose to oppose that, we are the enemy now of the world. And the world regards us as their enemy. And yet, we must be faithful. We must honor God. We must be true to him and his word, whatever the consequences. It's referred to as empty deceit. And when I hear the term empty deceit, it kind of reminds me of these movies that portray con jobs where people are conned out of something. It all looks so good at first. You think you're going to get this, and you don't. Now, when I was a kid, I used to enjoy watching this show called Let's Make a Deal, and then I found that it's back on TV. I don't watch TV. I hadn't realized it's been back for a long time now. But what you really have to enjoy about Let's Make a Deal is when people get a goat or a camel or an alpaca or something, you know, they've got this prize. They've got like a TV or something. But yet they're told, do you want to trade what you have for this? And it's behind a curtain. You can't see it. And so they, they wrestle in themselves. And then they think, yes, I want what's behind that curtain. And then they, they reveal a goat. And that's your goat. I mean, they, they offered it not have you take it home with you, but you just traded for a goat. And that's your, your prize. See, the reason they are tempted to choose is that they know there could be something better there. But see, this is empty deceit. There cannot be anything better. You have the best thing that can ever be. The best thing that exists in this world is the love of God, the, the, that relationship that you have with him. Everything else that draws you away, even in the least from God, is empty deceit. It's a goat. You don't want the goat. You want to hang on to what you have. For instance, we're also led away by what we ourselves love. I love Austrian economics. I love Austrian economists. But it breaks my heart when I read about them and see that they weren't believers. So I love the reasoning that they have, but I know that their reasoning is flawed because it's not based on the Bible. It's not based on a love of God or respect for God's principles. So the degree, I'm always looking. You always need to be looking. How are they going to try to lead me into empty deceit? Regardless of how good it looks, how good 99% of it looks, where is the flaw that Satan has implanted in that that is attempting to get me to choose the goat? It's such a pretty curtain. And I already have a TV. I don't, I don't, you know, have anything to lose now. But see, we so devalue what it is that we already have. We have Christ. We think we can have Christ and have what it is that we want behind that curtain. And you can't. God makes you drop it. So see, the principles of God's word are that soil. Christ is that soil. And so we must plant our lives into that soil and not be deceived, not be led into emptiness, vain pursuits in this world. All value uh, in this world, all ultimate value, must be embodied in Christ because everything else will burn. We're in Christ. We're a new creation. Our allegiance is different from every other person on earth that doesn't know Christ. We have to embrace that, acknowledge that, tell people that, be bold about it. I think what you're doing is wrong, 
But, like for instance, a friend, I wanted him to be in a relationship. I'd prefer that he'd choose Christ. But if he's not going to choose Christ, I'd rather he had the television than the goat. And so I give him advice to how I think he can gain a television and, and, and sacrifice the goat, not, not literally. But so see, that's to accept the lesser good on this earth. But yet for some people, they're so opposed to God in their life, and I still love them. I still don't want them grabbing the goat and leaving. I want them to lead a good life. Now maybe that's somewhat short-sighted of me, but yet I know God can and will bring difficulties into people's lives to cause them to see their need of him, but is that what we really pray for day to day? Do you pray that for all the people that you know that don't know the Lord? God, today I want you to really be hard on them. I want you to take away their food. I want you to take away their, their health. We don't really pray that, and I don't think God wants us to pray that. I don't think it's what he would have us to do and be in, by modeling out. He, he causes his reign to fall on the, the evil and the good. You know, he brings so much blessing into people's lives. So that's what God wants us to do. Bless people, bless people. Always remind them, though, there is such a greater blessing that you're missing out on that you'll never experience apart from knowing Christ. So see, you have that in with them because you want their good, how they deem good to be defined. This table is for our good. It doesn't benefit people that don't know Christ. It doesn't benefit people that are in Christ. It probably works against that. But so when we come to this table, we come seeking the good that God wants to give us. And so as we come to the table, as you partake of the wine and the cracker, remember, God wants to bless us, but we must be planted in the soil of Christ. Examine your life all the time to seek where you might be in the mulch as opposed to in the soil. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it that just is so plain at times and yet can be so elusive when we're tempted away by the lust of our eyes, by the lust of the beauty of the world, or by our own sinful inclinations, or by the devil's schemes. We pray instead, Lord, that we would rely upon you, that we would trust your word over our lying eyes. We give you thanks for your kindness, and we ask you, Lord, to bless this to our bodies, bless this to our spirits. May we live to please you, serve you, and reflect your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.